Well, I so love what God is doing in our church in these areas of youth ministry and uh, kids ministry. So incredible to think how many young lives God is entrusting to us. And when I heard that there was 177 kids out of 800 people here last Sunday, I thought, wow, uh, the future is looking really good. And I want to just affirm all of you who are already involved in kids ministries, we thank God for your serve um, and we're trusting that more of us will be the solution, right? So I hope this has landed on some of our hearts here today. We need you to fill out those forms. Join the kids' ministry team. It's awesome. And I also want to take a moment to celebrate with you something that has been going on uh, for a while now. We've been waiting till this Sunday to let you know what happened in the overflow offering that we, uh, we received from you in the month of December. And uh, nothing short of God's amazing favor was poured out uh, on this place. So let me just tell you a little bit of how we got there. You know, for the last 18 months, we have been under budget, not hitting the budget targets. We've cut corners. We've held back on resources. Uh, we've delayed as many things as we could possibly delay. The budget itself was not a huge budget. It wasn't something grandiose for a church our size, and we just lived within our means. And then in the month of December, we felt as a church that we would enter into a time of saying, Lord, what do you want me to do as we think about an overflow response? And maybe for some of us, it was to begin to tithe and bring God's portion to the storehouse. Or for others, just to catch up on tithing. Uh, for others, still just to continue to give God's 10%. Or some people wanted to go beyond that. So here's what happened. In the month of December, are you ready for it? In December, the total month offerings came to $188,000. That's amazing. Yay, God. Woo! So thrilled with that. So amazing. We thank God for how he's worked through you, his people, and we celebrate all the great ground uh, that has been accomplished. We're encouraged that that gap that we had between budget and income has now been solved. And we're back to normal. We're back to uh, neutral, I should say. And this enables us to financially strengthen our growing ministries to the kids and to the youth and to adults of all ages. It builds up our compassion fund so we can continue to minister to people who are in crisis. Uh, it also enables us to take better care of our facility. There's things that we've delayed fixing around here and things that we need to restore or replace uh, and also it enables us to do more for our international workers, our missionaries. So way to go. And I just want to encourage you, you know, now that this great uh, result has come in, let's not lose any ground that we've gotten to. Amen? Let's hold this ground. Let's not go back to a deficit position or a, a, a non-achievement of budget position. Let's hold this ground now by continuing to overflow, continuing to bring God's portion into his house. Because we need to move forward. It's not just about staying still, right? It is about advancing with the gospel here in our city and in our world. And we're deeply committed to that. And so we're trusting God for all the things that he will need to pour into us. So hosts, come on forward. We're going to receive now our, our offerings and return God his portion, his tithe. And uh, I just want to include the online givers in these words. Uh, you, when that basket goes around, you might think, well, there's not a lot of people putting stuff in. But actually, many of them have already given on Wednesday or Thursday or Tuesday uh, in the evening, and we celebrate their stewardship as well. And as you're getting ready for that, I want you to know that we're turning in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, so you can turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
and then the Song of Songs in the Old Testament. You can put a marker on there so that you're ready to get there when we are all <coughs> needing to read out of it. Okay, so we're in this series, and it's called You, Me, and We. And we've got seven messages. We're on the second one. And we're hoping you'll join us for the whole series as it looks at this life-changing truth that God has in his word for us about relationships, about marriage, about sexual purity and singleness. And as we said last week, we're going to be a little bit more open and honest and raw and transparent uh, when we talk in this series so that we can move into all the areas of freedom and hope and healing uh, that are ours to lay hold of. And this is an area where we need to have God's wisdom uh, shaping our lives. This is such a big part of life. Uh, what we do with ourselves, our souls, our bodies, and our time. And uh, so we just want to get it right. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. The words will be up on the screen. And I want to read them for us. This is a chapter here that includes teaching on marriage. And it's one of the best out of the whole Bible. So I want to read these verses to you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hates their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we're members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Okay, one more passage here, 1 Corinthians 7 at verse 10. Just a couple of verses. Another chapter on marriage. And this is what it says. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Okay, so today's message in the series is exclusively about the marriage relationship and the foundation of that relationship as seen in the scriptures. Last week we looked at singleness and purity. We talked about how it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And we asked ourselves the question, how can I take care of the fire within me? Because there is a fire within me. And how do I manage that fire? And how do I release that fire appropriately? And so even though this Sunday we're not talking about those explicit things that relate to singleness and sexuality, I want to say to all of you who are single, don't tune out this message because we need you to engage it. You might get married someday. You probably will be married someday. And uh, if not, if you're going to stay single, you've got friends who are married. You've got family members who are married. And you need to know how to relate to them and how you can encourage them. So this really applies to all of us. Now, just to clarify something from last Sunday, 
uh, when I got home, my amazing wife, Marianne, who I've been married to for 30 years, my lovely, awesome, beautiful wife, Marianne, as we're making dinner, said to me, uh, you said something last Sunday that might confuse some people. And so we talked about that, and I said, oh, I probably uh, should correct that because I didn't mean that. So regarding being jealous of The Bachelor, <laughs> what I was intending to say was I was jealous of his six-pack abs, not of anything else going on for The Bachelor, nothing else, just the abs, that's it, okay? Trust you know my heart. And just so you know, um, I don't even watch The Bachelor. I, I think I've seen half of an episode like 10 years ago, and uh, I'm just not a Bachelor-type guy, so um, I don't even know if they have good abs anymore. Do they have good abs? Don't say so. You'll get caught. <laughs> then everybody knows you watch The Bachelor. So I want to bring something forward to all of us today. I want you to consider this. I want you to weigh it out with me, and, and it goes like this. The only marriage that is worth being in is a brave marriage. The only marriage worth being in is a brave marriage. So I want to help us to kind of remember that, and I'm just going to talk today about being brave when it comes to a marriage relationship. The only marriage worth being in is a brave marriage. And we're not just talking about courage here, although that certainly applies and it's part of it. Um, and so I want to start us off by making us think for a moment here about the kind of marriages that God wants us to have. And really I think it begins with this. When we're talking about a brave marriage, we are supposed to bring our absolute best into the marriage relationship. Can you remember that? We're to bring our best self into the marriage. It's what we want from our spouse, right? We'll just flip it around. Don't you want your spouse to bring their best possible self into the marriage relationship? To fully participate, to embrace the life that you have together, to do all that they can to make sure that they are with you on the journey, that they are blooming with you as you blossom. And we've all got work to do, right? How many of you know that your spouse is a work in progress? Put up your hand. Oh, come on. Some of you have perfect spouses. You should be up here, right? you got something going on there. That's amazing. How many of you know that you also are a work in progress? Yeah. Let's just take it in the heart there for a moment. We are a work in progress. We've got a lot of work to do. And you know, I've been paying attention lately to these things called bitmojis. You guys done yours yet? Yeah? You got these little caricatures that you put in your cell phone and you put on your hair and your eyes and your smile. And most of the ones I've seen, I haven't done mine yet. Uh, but most of the ones I've seen, they look pretty good. They're like, that's you. And that happens because people take the time to think about what kind of person do I project? Well, that's a good thing to think about when it comes to your marriage. What kind of a self am I bringing into my marriage or my future marriage? And uh, you, need, you need to do this. You need to bring your best self forward. Your future spouse or current spouse needs that. Your future kids or kids will need that. Your family needs that. And you yourself need that. 
And bringing the best version of yourself into the marriage that you're going to be in means you've got to pay attention to some things. If you're struggling with some issues in your life, maybe you've got some emotional baggage that just hasn't been healed yet, or maybe you've got some wounds from the past and the way you were raised or a previous relationship, or, or maybe physically you're just not happy about who you are when you look in the mirror. All of that is yours to own. I mean, your spouse might you know, gently say something about that, um, but it's your issues to own. And uh, you've got to address them. So I want you to turn in the Song of Songs to chapter 5 of it. I, and I love this book of the Bible because it's this incredible story of two people who bring their best into a marriage relationship. And they work hard at it. And if you don't know the Song of Songs, it's based on a Hebrew portrayal of, of love and intimacy and, and, uh, and beauty and romance. Uh, there's an attraction stage uh, then there's dating and engagement, romance, wedding day, honeymoon, and after the honeymoon. And in chapter 5 of the Song of Songs, we have the girl talking about the guy. So this is how she sees the man uh, that she is uh, engaged to. I'm just going to read it for us here. Chapter 5, verse 10. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. So the guy's got hair. Okay? His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. So he uses cologne. He smells good. How many of you women appreciate it if your guy smells good? Guys, let that land too. Some of you need a lot of help here. <laughs> Buy the cologne. It's worth it. His lips are like lilies, dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. He's got strong, muscular arms. His body is like polished ivory, decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. All right? So his body looks good. He's probably toned up. He's probably really taking care uh, of himself. His mouth is sweetness itself. In other words, no bad breath. Question, how does she know that? She's kissing him. Right? She's affectionate to this guy. This is my beloved. He's altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, O daughters of, of Jerusalem. Don't you get the feeling that this girl is really proud about how her guy looks? He's bringing his best self forward into the relationship. Back up to chapter 4, verse 1. We have the other side of the equation. We have the guy saying, this is how I view the girl that I'm about to spend the rest of my life with. This is what he says about her. Chapter 4, verse 1. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Kind of an overall statement. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Let me just stop there for a moment. We know this from research. The first thing that a man is attracted to uh, in relationship to a woman is her eyes. And then shortly after that, the rest of her body. But <laughs> it actually starts with the eyes. Research tells us that. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. This is not an insult. You got goat hair. 
he's picturing, you know, on the Judean countryside in Gilead, uh, the goats coming down the mountains, you know, maybe 150 goats, and they're just all together in this black sort of shimmering, uh, descending uh, picture of, of animals, right? And it's the idea of her hair is wavy, and it's got texture. It reminds him of goats. <laughs> then he says this, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing, so they're clean. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone, so there's no missing teeth. <laughs> Serious. She goes to her dentist, which we all should. Go to your dentist. It's important for your spouse and you. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely, so she probably got like red lipstick on. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. You guys, did you do your research on that yet? All right, leaving it with you. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Okay, he's talking about jewelry here. He's saying on your neck there's this lovely display of, of precious metal, and it enhances her beauty. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. He's saying, I like that part of your body too. It's here in the Bible. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Ah, oh, I just love those passages. And aren't you glad they're in the Bible? Aren't you glad that God is not embarrassed about talking to us about sexuality? Because he made it, this great gift for us. Made it to bless us with it and so that we can enjoy a lifetime together with our spouse. And that is really good stuff to remind us. We've got to bring our best self forward into the marriage relationship. So it makes me wonder then, what version of yourself are you giving to your spouse? Is it your best self? Is it the happy you, the fully alive you, the grateful you, the good-looking you, the in-shape you, the faithful you, or is it more the worried you, the sad you, the depressed you, the physically neglected you? Is it possible that your spouse doesn't get the best version of you? We're responsible to bring that forward. In fact, I really think it's extremely selfish if we do not take care of ourselves emotionally, spiritually, and physically for the sake of our spouse. They deserve our best. So let's be brave about that. But I want to move on here. I want to talk about respecting something. We want to respect God's foundation. God has given us a foundation in his word to look at about marriage. And uh, it's in these verses that we're that we're studying today in Ephesians chapter 5. It talks about the foundation. Some really essential building blocks that we all need in our marriages. So let me just kind of skim through them because we've covered these in the last two marriage series in depth. We went you know, far into the theology of marriage. And you can look at the Stronger series from two years ago and then four years ago we did Reality Marriage. There are some great messages on there about this stuff that I'm going to highlight here for a moment. So being one flesh is important. And Paul talked about that in Ephesians 5. The two shall become one flesh. It's like we're cemented together by God, joined in a bond that is physical 
and emotional and psychological and spiritual. It's like no other relationship on the planet. And also, something that we need as a building block here is something called leaving and cleaving. We're to leave our parents and establish a new identity as a couple with our future spouse. Uh, We come out from under the authority of our parents at that point. They're still involved in our lives. They're still there uh, as a blessing uh, and, and all of that. But we now stand alone once we're married. We stand alone before God. And we've, in a sense, left the family nest. Now, it's not saying that it's wrong to live with your parents um, as a couple. Sometimes that works out really well. Um, economically, it can save you from going into debt while you're in certain years of career, career building. Um, but we also need to realize that when we live with our parents and we're married, we have to establish the lines of authority thing. We have to get it really clear at the beginning. We are a separate couple from mom and dad. Get that worked out if you're considering living at home, and it can go well for you. When our son Brandon got married a year and a half ago, I said to him and to Alora, his wife, I said, now that this day has come, you have stepped out from under your parents. You're your own family. We're still here for you. We don't love you any less. And we want to bring wisdom and and love and support and encouragement to you all the time. And we want a great relationship with you. But you are now on your own. And you're going to face your future as a couple looking into God's destiny for your lives. That's really important. Then Paul talks about headship. He mentions it here in Ephesians 5 and also in 1 Corinthians 7 at verse 3 and then verses 8 through 11. And I know that it's not a popular topic uh, in our times to talk about headship. But the Bible anchors us to this truth. It's not something that we can avoid. It says the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So if Christ is still the head of the church, then I suppose husbands are to be uh, exercising leadership in the family home. And uh, let me just say a few things here that we covered in a previous series. Headship never means domination. Uh, It never means abuse. It it never means that the man is worth more than the woman before God or that the man has special access to God more than the woman. It doesn't mean that at all. Uh, In the scriptures, the woman is called the azir. When God said in Genesis 2, I will make you a helper suitable for him, the word helper is not a good translation. It's from the Hebrew word azir, and it means rescuer. So the woman is strong enough in the marriage to rescue the man. And man, man, we need rescuing, right, quite often. (laughs) And so this beautiful picture is given us in Genesis chapter 2 of this couple who have been given the mandate by God to rule and reign in this world and to subdue creation. It's not just the man who does it. It's the man and the woman together. And they go out subduing the new realm that God has established for them to live in. That's a beautiful picture of a partnership at work in marriage. So yes, there's order. And yes, there's roles within the marriage. And we cover all this in our, in our other previous series. But it's part of the building blocks of going forward. Men, lead your homes. Be the spiritual leader. Take on that responsibility and work with your wife very, very closely in establishing the direction that your family goes. That's God's preferred blessing for you. And uh, I just think, you know, life has so much chaos, right? Can you imagine if we don't do this together? Can you imagine if if a husband says to his wife, you know, I think we should move to this city and I should get this job, and she's got strong sense in her heart that this will be a bad move, and she says nothing? 
that's an example of how much we need to work together. We come to joint decisions as we have our different roles to play. Then it talks about sacrificial love. And really, that's on the part of the husband. Sure, you get to be the leader in the marriage, but you better be willing to lay down your, wife, your, your life for your wife. You better be willing to do that. The call to sacrifice is first to the guy, to bleed for your wife, to give up your rights for your wife. And when that happens, the relationship just gets stronger and stronger. And then there's mutual submission, which Paul kicks off that passage in chapter 5 of Ephesians by saying, all of you submit to one another. So that we're all in this sort of relationship of connection together bringing out the best in each other. Those are some of the essential building blocks here. But I want to look at something else here in our brave call to marriage, and it's this. We should allow no, and by no I mean none, no nibbling. And what do I mean by that? How many of you like to nibble on your spouse? Don't answer. (laughs) I mean nibbling on their ear, you know. Some women like to chew on their, their guy's ear. It just makes them happy. I don't know why, but they like doing that. Or you chew on each other's fingers, you know. So nibbling like that is certainly legit and okay. We're not talking about that being excluded from nibbling. We're talking about something else here. Back to the Song of Songs. And a couple years ago, Pastor Nick Kadoon spoke a message on this in our Stronger series. And it talks about these little foxes. So look at chapter 2 at verse 15. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Now when you see the word vineyard in the Bible, it represents many things. It, It represents Israel. It represents favor and blessing. And in this context, it would be the favor of God, his abundant blessing over a marriage relationship. And it's saying here, hey, we're heading into full bloom. Our vineyard is ready to produce fruit. We better watch that no little foxes get in and nibble away at our vineyard trees. The idea was back then, foxes would sneak in and they would chew on the roots of the vineyard uh, bushes and then the, the fruit would dry up and it would affect the whole crop. So little foxes, you know, they look cute, don't they? They look so harmless, you might think, oh, I'd like to have one for a pet. But if you let those little foxes loose in your marriage, they will nibble and nibble and chew away at the roots of your relationship. So what might be some little foxes that we might want to pay attention to in our times? Let's offer you a couple thoughts. This might be a little fox for some people. Too much time away from each other. Too big of a gap of time between being together as husband and wife in the same location. Sometimes work makes that a reality. Sometimes people have to travel up north or down south or across Canada for their work. We get that. It's not wrong to do that. That may be exactly the job God gave you. So we have to figure out, well, what's the wisdom factor in that? The wisdom factor in that is how do you stay close to your spouse even though you travel uh, and are away a lot? And so, fortunately, we've got great technology in our time. You can use FaceTime. You can Skype call. You can see each other in a face-to-face way. And I know couples in our church who get on Skype or FaceTime at least several times a week, maybe once a day if they can, if they can make it happen with the shift work. 
That's something you can do. And then when you're back in town together, what you need to do is have disproportionate time together to kind of rebuild up you know, the, the bank account of your love relationship. So when you're back in town, you want to make, you want to make it count. You want to get distracted with too many other things because your relationship with your spouse is the most important human relationship. That's one little fox. This might be another one. I call it kid fatigue. Uh, those of you, especially with younger children, you got two or three or four, and your whole life is really all about your kids, or it seems to be that. I mean, your, your whole day is consumed with getting your kids up, dressing them, feeding them, dropping them off, washing their face, um, cooking food for them, singing songs to them, changing them, putting them to bed, getting them up again, carrying them around with you. And you can get pretty exhausted from the kid factor, right? There's nothing wrong with that phase of life at all. It's, a, it's an important phase. And we need wisdom for that as well. I mean, it gets so bad that you're sitting at home at night and as a couple, you're exhausted. You've got three little kids and you're like, you're arguing about who gets to go to the store to buy milk. <laughs> One of you needs out of the house. So you're just like, I've got to get out of here. I just need to breathe so you've got to get strategic about that. I want to say this to you if you're young and uh, you have a lot of young kids. You still need to date. You can put that off until you know, the kids are like graduating. That would not be good. You need to date. You need to prioritize time away from your kids. Some of you have grandparents that are a huge blessing to you. And we thank God for grandparents who get it. Who really understand that this is part of the role that they play uh, in shaping the next generation. But not everybody has grandparents here. Then you have to get some really close friends to help you and let them, hear me on this, let them look after your kids and get out of town. You need time away from your children when they're old enough to leave. I mean, obviously, I'm not talking about nursing here, but you know, you need some time away from your children, and I hope that you pursue that. My wife and I have done that through those phases, and it has. It has kept the little foxes away from nibbling. And then maybe something else. I don't know if this would be applicable to all of us here. Um, but another thing that you need to do is maybe just watch out for relationships with the opposite sex that are going too well. You know, you might just find someone who jogs and you're jogging with them. Or you might just say that person at the office is just amazing. And maybe they are amazing, but they should not be that amazing to you. And so you want to watch that little fox and say, I can't have certain conversations. I can't spend certain amounts of time with people, even though I like them and I enjoy them. I have to be very wise in my relationships and the choices that I make. Well, whatever it is, don't allow any nibbling in your vineyard. And then this part here, we need to value full potential in our spouses. Because we all have a full potential that we can reach. Full potential. It's the way God looks at you. God views you not just as you are, but as you are becoming. He sees you as complete in Christ. He sees you as without sin in Christ. He sees you as royalty, as a son or daughter of the king. That's how he sees you. And so we have to take that perspective that God has for us, and we need to apply it to our spouses. We look at our spouse and we say, yeah, there's, there's some imperfections in him or her, 
but we see our spouses from a different perspective. We honor them for the design that God has put into them. We honor them for their full potential. We focus on those things that they are becoming, and we encourage them to release in their life all the things that God wants to do through them. And when we do that, everybody smiles. It means that we have grace for each other. Ever heard of the golden rule for married couples? Do unto your spouse as you would have them do unto you. If you want to be treated a certain way, if you want them to honor you, then start by honoring them. Treat them with greatness. So I just want you right now to do a little visual with me. Take the number 10 and put it on top in your mind of your spouse's head. And just say to yourself, I will always look at them as a 10 first. Before, I, before we deal with anything and, and process anything, they are a 10 first. There's gold in your spouse. There's precious metal in your spouse that needs to be mined out and you're part of the journey to bring that out with them. It doesn't mean that you don't face problems. Anybody not have problems in their marriage? It doesn't mean that you don't have to sit down and have some hard conversations every now and then and say, you know, I love you. I know you love me. Can we fix this? Can we work on this? This is really something I think we need to give attention to. And we commit ourselves to do this. It's something the Bible calls us to do. To speak the truth in love. So two things there, truth and love. We gotta speak the truth to our spouse. We can't just speak part of the truth or just a different version of the truth or sometimes 90% of the truth. We've gotta be able to speak the whole truth to our spouse. But we do that through love. We do that through the lens of sacrificial love. Willing, if necessary, to suspend our rights so that we can be together on the journey of a lifetime. And that brings me to the last point here as we think about a brave marriage. It's about embracing the long run. And how many of you know that a marriage is not a sprint? It's not a 100-meter dash. It's a long run. We're committed till death do us part, right? So that means that we have to think not just about tomorrow and about next year, but about a lifetime together. Hence, we need to be in a pattern of growth and uh, leaning forward, solving our issues as we go into our futures. In chapter 7 of Corinthians, verse 10, Paul said, don't get divorced. And he was probably addressing a crisis in the church because there was so many crises in the Corinthian church. People were getting married quickly. Uh, people were still you know, using their bodies in inappropriate ways, coming out of the culture that they were in. And then Paul says to them, I want you to know this, you're not supposed to get divorced. Stay together. So probably some of them were just saying, you know what, I just don't like you anymore, so I'm done. And they were just divorcing. And he's saying, whoa, 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 slow down. <laughs> and this is not the only passage in the Bible that we could look at on the subject of divorce we could spend a whole message on that. There are biblical grounds for divorce. And at the top of the list, of course, is adultery. And a believer is free to uh, either, you know, stay in the marriage or if, if, they want, if they can make the marriage work or they can leave the marriage. God doesn't make that decision for you. God does give grounds for divorce. And it is legitimate in some situations. But sometimes it's better to see if the marriage can get fixed. 
Sometimes it's, it's a whole lot better to see if, if both of the people in the marriage, if they can enter into a whole new relationship together. And I think about splitting up and how much it costs, you know, and I go, wow, is it ever costly? It's kind of like what the country of Britain is going through now as they face Brexit, right? Exiting the European Union. Everybody was all in favor. Let's split up. Let's just make a dividing line between us. Well, they voted on it, and they said, we'll do it. Now they're working it out, and they're going, oh, my goodness. As a nation, this is really hard. Of course it is. Breaking up is always, always traumatic. And I want to say those, uh, this to those of you who have gone through a marriage failure. God has a future for you. Don't live in self-defeat and condemnation and all that. Don't go there. God has a future for you. And someday you may want to get married again. And you can. God may have someone that he will bring your way and, and you'll see that person and recognize them. Perhaps you're a widower. Or perhaps you've never been married. And you might say to yourself, I do want to get married again. You're praying about it. Or you might say, I am really content to be single. I know people in midlife who are single and who love it. And all of their needs are met. They're, they're fine. They're, they're doing very, very well. So hear from God about that. But if you are married, if you are married, take the long run. Say to your spouse, even today when you go home, honey, I'm committed for the long run. No matter what happens, ups and downs, challenges, problems, I'm committed for the long run. And friends, when we do this, there's a result that occurs. And here's what happens. A taste of heaven on earth comes into our marriage relationship. How many of you want heaven on earth in your marriage relationship? It's possible. Because every marriage models something. It models the relationship between Jesus and his bride. And when we're walking as a brave couple, when we're bringing our best to each other, respecting God's foundation, when we're allowing no nibbling on intimacy in our own relationship, when we value our full potential in each other, when we also embrace the long run, we begin to get a taste of heaven on earth in our marriage relationship. And I think God wants that for all of us. In fact, I think our marriages should be one of the greatest reasons why we can bring people into the kingdom because they look at our marriage and they go, whatever you got going on, we want it too. How can we become like you? So today, friends, we're going to do something special together. We're going to invite you to celebrate being brave in your life by participating in the Lord's Supper in communion. And whether you're single or married, young or old, whether you've never been married, I think the Lord wants us to meet with him in a special way and become touched by him in a supernatural way today so that we can be brave for everything that God has for us in our faith and in our future. And this means that we're going to bring our best to God. We're going to respect the foundation of his love. We're going to allow nothing to get in the way with our intimacy with Jesus Christ. We're going to value him for who he is. And we're going to embrace the long, long journey, the glorious journey of being a follower of Christ until the day he comes and gets us. So I want you to stand with us together. And I just remind us all here that when we're talking about communion or the Lord's Supper, 
we're talking about something really awesome that Jesus has given to us.